Hello, wherever you are in the world today, welcome to Beyond the Art in our series, The Stories That Carry Us. I'm your host, Craig Beaumont Flynn, a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and the Delaware Tribe of Indians. In each episode, we will discuss with various Native American artists, influencers, art leaders, and everyone in between their experiences, the communities they serve, and the translation and interpretation of the Native American art world today. Welcome to Beyond the Art today. We have Preston Sickletary, a Clinkett uh, tribal member. Good afternoon. Hello. Preston, how are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Thank you for good. having me. Good. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, why don't you go ahead and start and tell and share a bit about your personal background and cultural heritage. So, yeah, I'm a Clinkett tribal member, uh, Kogwantan killer whale from the Eagle Moiety uh, my grand, great-grandmother uh, was raised in Sitka, Alaska, but then she moved to Seattle in the 20s and brought her whole family, including my grand, uh, grandmother. Um, she was widowed, and then she uh, uh, so relocated to the Seattle area. I mm-hmm. basically grew up as an urban, uh, urban native in uh, Seattle, uh, where I continue to live and work here. Um, I basically kind of fell into glass blowing in around 1982 through introduction of a, a good friend of mine who mm-hmm. I went to high school with, Dante Marioni, and his father was one of the early sort of hippie pioneers of the studio glass movement, which um, uh, grew quite prominently here in the Northwest in Seattle area, um, largely due be you know, to uh, Dale Chihuly and the Pilchuck Glass School. And I, um, so I started as a production glass blower. I went to Pilchuck Glass School, um, international meeting place. And that's where I was exposed to uh, other artists from around the world who, um, you know, came to teach workshops and, and uh, have residencies and things. So I basically learned through practical experience. I started to, uh, learn different techniques of glass making, primarily glass blowing. But then I um, decided at one point to sort of, uh, in, in an effort to make my work more um, unique, I guess I turned to my cultural background. So um, that was in about 1988, a few years after I started blowing glass. And I was kind of dabbling in that right. uh, in various ways and also playing music. That's another big part of my artistic expression um i have a band that uh really kind of explores native culture through music um and more of a jazz rock um and funk style group we call ourselves <laughs> ku Eek, which means Ku-eek? potlatch it's, it means potlatch in the clinket language so okay. um so i kind of you know i, I moonlight as a musician i make uh, <laughs> glass uh during the day and um and make some of the sculptures you can see on the shelf behind me so how has your native american identity influenced your artistic work well yeah i mean i i grew up my my great-grandmother lived to be 100 years old and you know we spent time with her um mm-hmm. a pretty pretty big family with lots of cousins and aunties and so forth. And so, um, 
you know, I, I, uh, I always was aware of it. Uh, but you know, I, of course I grew up outside of the traditional, uh, territory where the Tlingit uh, people are in Southeast Alaska. Um, and so I, I just, uh, kind of endeavored to do this and tried to figure out how, how, you know, the design work and mm-hmm. all of these, uh, so I, I had to kind of train myself uh, in the the tribal style, um, which I learned through books, and then later on uh, working with different uh, scholars and and artists uh, and getting input on how I could uh, build this or how I could develop this on a deeper right. level. Could you discuss your art- artistic process? So, you know, so the process that I use is working with hot glass. And so that is a glass blowing kind of process. It involves uh, working with molten glass, taking it out of the furnace, applying colors and and um, making, uh, in my case, I, I make a lot of sculptures. So I, I work out of the round uh, mm-hmm. a lot. So I, I work um, with... Um, hot torches and allows me to superheat certain areas and I can manipulate them and cut and pull and stretch and create sculpture that is inspired by my cultural background. I guess that, you know, the other component of that is that it's, it's kind of a multi-stage process. So I'll right. blow a form or I'll sculpt, sculpt a form and then I put a, a, a rubber tape on the surface of the of the glass after it's cooled, and mm-hmm. then I'll draw directly onto the form, cut out the areas that uh, you know create the designs, and then I'll sandblast through layers of color, typically. So as you can see behind my head here, there's a red and black piece. So that mm-hmm. at one point that piece was all black, and so I put the design work on there. Um, you know, with, uh, with drawing and then, uh, cut out exposing those areas and then carving away the black layer to expose the color underneath. So that's, uh, kind of a simplified, uh, explanation of what I do. Um, and the, you can see there's a lot of variety of, of ways that I can work in, uh, mostly freehand sculpting. In some cases I'll blow into a form to get a general shape. And then, you know, in the case of like a mask or something, I can, um, you know, blow that into the form and then I can carve different, uh, designs into the shape, into the shape itself. Now, how do you choose your subject matters? Do you have a specific idea beforehand that you kind of sketch out before you start creating or do you just start yeah. creating and it comes to you? Well, at first I started working, um, uh, trying to mimic, uh, types of forms that were mm-hmm. traditional uh, like a, a bowl or a hat or, a, you know, um, some sort of a sculpture or like an amulet shape that, you know, was typically maybe a small piece made out of bone. Uh, like right, a, right. Uh, and, but then I'll make it in a larger, more sculptural form. And uh, so in some cases, like I said, I'm trying to mimic certain uh, cultural objects. And then in some cases I get more abstract and kind of allow you know, modernism to sort of come into the work. Uh, you know, I didn't go to art school, so I I spent a lot of time looking at other types of art and was really fascinated with what the modernists were doing. Um, and come to realize that they uh, 
had a big appreciation of what, uh, you know, African art, Native American art, mm-hmm. oceanic art, and sort of, you know, you know, getting ins- inspiration from those uh, cultures. And so I started to analyze that um, and kind of turning the tables on the modernists a little bit, kind of using, uh, making maybe a spare organic form that, but then I'll, I'll put uh, Northwest Coast designs on it. So is there a specific message or narrative you're trying to or hope to convey in your pieces to the, the audience and collector? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I put a pretty major exhi- exhibit together called Raven in the Box of Daylight. So I was kind of analyzing an ancient mythology, a story that's been passed down through, you know, hundreds of years or maybe thousands of years mm-hmm. about how Raven stole the sun and he placed it in the sky and so I made about 60 pieces of glass um, and created like a um, an immersive experience. So, you know, mm. you walk in the world's darkness and then, you know, this white raven, um, he's kind of uh, trying to find out, you know, how to get a hold of the daylight, which he learns from these fishermen of the night um, uh, that this old man is has these objects in his, uh, in his clan house. So he eventually gets into the clan house. He, uh, one by one, he takes the stars and then the moon and the sun, he, you know, and he places it in the sky and that's how daylight came to the world. So, um, you know, it's, it's a rather long story, uh, depending on the details that you put into it. Right. It's a very traditional story. And, you know, I enhanced it with, um, kind of video backdrops and uh, so I created a soundscape uh, and, you know, kind of I, I layered in Clinket language telling stories about Raven. So, I mean, unless you understood Clinket language, you wouldn't right. know what was going <laughs> on, but I was trying to create this atmosphere and, and place the, the, the viewer in this um, kind of, you know, an immersive experience. So, so in some some cases, you know, I'm trying to bring um, awareness to the culture and mm-hmm. the stories and the symbolism. And so um, there, I worked with this um, elder from Yakutat, Alaska, and he was he considered himself a mythologist. He took the Clinket language or, or the Clinket stories, and um, he kind of made points in how they they relate to other you know, mythologies and theologies. And, right. and so he brought, he kind of unlocked the symbolism behind all of this, um, all of these stories or several stories. And so he encouraged me to take his work and, and, uh, you know, be inspired by it. So sometimes I'll create, you know, I think every object that I make has some kind of relationship to, um, uh, an old uh, symbol, which I make anew in this material of glass. And so in some cases I'll make uh, these totem poles. And in that case, I'll, I do um, uh, what it's, it's a lost wax casting. Mm-hmm. It's akin to bronze casting. So we're working from a wooden form. I work with a, um, a, uh, a carver who will carve, a totem form in, in the traditional way with the uh, tools and ads, you know, the hook knives and what have you. 
And then I'll take that form and then I'll make a, a wax version of it. You cast plaster around the wax. You melt the wax out and you have this negative space. And then you load that negative space with glass and then you melt it into the form. When you break the plaster away, then you're then the result is sort of like a, a, a totem, you know, a traditional totem form. And so then that's um, then there's a lot of work that goes into you know, grinding the surfaces back and make sure that all the details in there and it's um, quite a, a process, but, uh, you know, time consuming process. Have you uh, tested your abilities in other mediums? Are you? Yeah, I, you know, I, I start, I did dabble in wood carving a little bit, but then I realized that, you know, my skills as a glass blower are, you know, far exceed my <laughs> wood carving skills. Right. Um, and so I, I, so I work traditionally with carvers, um, uh, and I'll draw the design out. They'll, they'll carve it for me. So they, you know, they, they understand that I'm take, I'll be taking this piece and, you know, making a, a glass sculpture from it. Um, in some cases I've done, um, you know, the biggest one I've done is an eight foot totem. It's about 2,800 wow. pounds of glass and it's, um, it's pretty massive, but it's really impressive yeah. to see such a large glass sculpture in, in person. Is that for installation for, was it a commission piece? Uh, I did. So I've done three of them, which were um, commissioned essentially uh, for private homes. Um, those were about seven and a half feet tall. They were um, so, you know, the, tra- the, the idea of a totem pole is it's supposed to, it, it traditionally, it tells a story. Mm-hmm. So I created this story about my great grandmother who had a, a, a bear cub as a pet when she was growing up in Alaska, <laughs> the turn, turn of the century. So, so I made this, you know, human figure that represents my great grandmother. And then she has this hat on and on top of the hat, this little bear cub is sort of hanging on to this hat. So it's like, uh, you know, it, it so you, you have to um, right. understand the context of what the sculpture represents. And then mm-hmm. I, I, you know, give the client story so they can tell, tell people the story. Do you take risk or challenges in your artistic creations? Well, I think or, those were, or, the, your, or your ideas and trying to yeah. create something. Yeah. I mean, the totem poles were, that was kind of a risk in a lot of ways. You know, I was trying to find someone who could cast this, uh, the sculpture for me. And ended up having to go to the Czech Republic because they're wow. really well-versed in, making large scale castings and they, they actually still make lead crystal there, different colored uh, lead crystal material. So I can use their material uh, and use their, you know, the artists over there to help me fabricate these things. So those were, those were kind of risky because, you know, I mean, they take, you know, the largest ones take about 10 weeks in the kiln, you know, when you're firing, uh, melting the glass into these Mm -hmm. forms and when they come out, you know, you're hoping that they're still stable. I mean, <laughs> it's a, it's kind of where the, you know, um, it's kind of where art ends and science begins, you know, right. in terms of making these uh, castings, because they have to cool in such a, a specific manner that, you know, the, the more massive the piece of glass is, the longer it takes to cool. So those are right. some of the biggest, um, well, some of the biggest castings that maybe have ever been made, really. Um, but they are, uh, those are, those are definitely a risk. We had, 
we had a couple of failures in the kiln. So after 10 weeks, you open up the kiln and pieces broken. You're like, ah, you know, back to the, back to the drawing board. (laughs) But, you know, I think in, in terms of the uh, sculpture that I do, that's just like an evolution of um, trial and error and, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to achieve certain forms to make it look like a, you know, uh, a native uh, piece of sculpture. Um, And, um, yeah, after 41 years, I've been working with class now, so it's uh, it uh, continues to evolve and change and grow. So in creating and glass blowing, I mean, it, there's such a, a technique to it. Has has you tried to start something and then it's kind of morphed and taken a mind of its own and became something else through the yeah, process? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of that. Like I said, yeah. trial and error. So you know, you're, right. you're endeavoring to create something and. I mean, that's the same with any, you know, when you're, when you're trying to make, um, one of a kind sculptures, then, you know, sometimes you'll, or even when you're just beginning glass blowing, you know, you imagine this, you know, making a vase of some sort, like a Mm -hmm. a functional object. And then you think it's like the most beautiful thing. You put it away in the kiln, you know, because you only have a certain amount of time to work with it, put it away and you take it out the next day and you're looking at it. It's like, well, I wasn't exactly what I was shooting for but you know you you start to so glass blowing really relies on a lot of forethought you know and pre-planning and to achieve certain kinds of forms you really have to um you know see what the limitations are you know in some cases i'm adding these appendages on like i might make Mm -hmm. a bird and then add these uh these wings these glass wings or you know something like that and it and it becomes, um, you know, kind of a, a process that you, you build on and grow with. Right. Right. Um, collaboration and community are important aspects of many indigenous cultures. Have you collaborated with other artists or worked within your community? Yeah. I mean, I spend a lot of time in Santa Fe, uh, which mm-hmm. is kind of the center for contemporary native art, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of traditional art. There's, you know, it's just, it's every uh, third weekend of August is a, um, this art fair that happens down there. Right. And, uh, and, and so a lot of people come to that. It's been going on for a hundred years, over a hundred years now. And it's really grown in different ways, um, you know, to include like, um, you know, native fashion, right. film, uh, music, a wide uh, range, sculpture. and and so I've met several artists uh, down there, some Pueblo artists that I've worked with, and of course, you know, their their vessel forms, you know, the different mm-hmm. shapes and that they uh, that they make, and sometimes you know, oftentimes they're ornamented with designs of their region, and so I've done some pretty high profile. Um, collaborations with several different artists i've also traveled to australia new zealand and worked wow. with maori and maori artists and uh australian aboriginal uh people and and so that is you know and so in in a lot of ways that's a way of me sharing um or you know showing what can be done right. with uh my technique or my specific approach and so when we collaborate, you know, we put both our names on the piece or the body of work and then um, uh, just kind of go through uh, the, the motions of 
mm-hmm. doing this, you know, sandblasted carving. So you have a lot of control when you when you're um, when you can draw directly onto the glass and cut out the areas and and establish the design work. So in in, in your um, experience in collaborating, how has this impacted your art and your connection to your heritage? Well, yeah, I mean, I so I I did spend a fair amount of time going to these indigenous artist gatherings, and mm-hmm. in this case, we were like uh, Maori and Hawaiian and Native North American. So we would all come together and and share, um, you know. And what I found was these 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 uh, gatherings are quite profound in so many ways because uh, indigenous people from all around the world have a similar experience with, right. you know, the, uh, uh, coloniz- colonization and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes oppression. Uh, but so, so I learned by working with other people, you know, how, how do they interpret their cultural art for today's world? You know, um, in the old days, the Clinkett, uh, work i mean it was really for the community right it was it was a visual language it was uh kind of an oral tradition and you know when i'm working with other artists you know sometimes there are things that you know we don't share in a in an art form that we're you know selling to public to to collectors and so um but so i understand I, i i get to um, hear what their motivations are and how, you know, how they would like to present it and how this collaboration is going to, um, you know, bring a, a new, uh, dimension to the cultural art. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, uh, indigenous art, uh, bridges traditional and contemporary elements. How do you navigate the balance between honoring your cultural traditions and expressing your individual artistic vision? Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, you know, I, like I mentioned about trying to interpret mythologies that are very old um, mm-hmm. and these stories that, you know, that we're sort of brought up with. And um, and in some cases, like I said, I try to go more modern and more, you know, sometimes I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll work on. So I love the process of glass blowing. So I'll. I'll just kind of make a, a shape that is, you know, maybe it's like a vase form, you know, right. it's a very elegant vase form and I'll just put, you know, Northwest coast design on it. And that's sort of, um, you know, creating more of a decorative art object. Um, and then sometimes um, I guess like my most uh, my ideas about my next steps, you know, I was, mm. I've, I've been looking at, um, looking at these ancient mythologies, but I'm also wondering what is Raven up to today? Like what's he, what's he, you know, if if the culture had not been, you know, interrupted or, you know, kind of truncated, it would have been, it, you know, these, this concept that would have been ever evolving, you know, there would have been more stories coming out about Raven and, you know, Absolutely. passed down and what have mm-hmm. you. So now I'm trying to um, think about Raven as kind of a spirit that surrounds us and maybe still trying to affect things. So we have these old stories of how Raven stole the sun. He stole the water from uh, this natural spring that was being guarded by uh, petrol, the bird petrol. 
And so he swallowed up that entire natural spring and he flew, uh, he, but he was so engorged with water, you know, there was dribbling, the water was dribbling out of his mouth and it created the rivers and the streams. So, um, I'm, you know, my new idea is like maybe Raven's trying to battle climate change or maybe Raven is, uh, you know, protecting, trying to protect the, uh, missing and murdered indigenous women. Maybe he's trying to, uh, Maybe he discovered the residential grave school uh, sites um, or residential school grave sites, things like that. So, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, you know, we can use that Raven as a metaphor um, for continuing to teach and and um, and develop symbolisms and especially things that uh, pertain to uh, our community and and the things that are happening uh, today. In what ways do you envision your art contributing to a broader understanding and appreciation of Native American culture, both within and outside the community? Well, you know, glass is a non-traditional medium, obviously. But, you know, the fact is that glass as a sculptural uh, material, I mean, average people didn't have access to glass prior to about 60 years ago. I Mm -hmm. mean, it was basically... Um, a marriage of art and industry. You know, you had the industry that, you know, created the the workspace and, you know, is maybe making bottles and vases and functional objects. Right. And then you had designers that were, you know, were educated in design and they would make, uh, they would design the objects. But about 60 years ago, there was a man named Harvey Littleton who, um, who built a, a furnace. He went to Europe and he saw people working with glass and he came back to the States and he built the furnace and he started making uh, glass art. And so that's what we think of as the studio glass movement. And so if you go back uh, 60 years and I've been doing it for 41 years now, (laughs) um, now, I mean, we have access to this material. And um, so it's no mystery that, you know, the, that, you know, native people didn't have access to, uh, working with glass, but now mm-hmm. we have it. And I think of it as, um, kind of, a, a, a transformation medium. I mean, glass is a very special material. It's going from a liquid to a solid and you're, you know, you're shaping it, you're, you're working with it. And I, I contend that the more that I work with glass, the more traditional it becomes for <laughs> native culture. So right. it's, um, it's something that uh, I, I and, you know, mostly within the community, people are um, excited about the material. Um, I'm hoping that it'll continue to grow. Uh, I think back in 2003, I was involved with helping um, a couple of curators make an overview of glass art, an exhibition uh, of glass art, native glass art. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there's about six. 15 people uh, involved that were either working with glass, you know, directly or designing glass and working with um, artisans that could mm-hmm. help, you know, uh, execute the piece. And um, now there's a new exhibition called Clearly Indigenous, and it's traveling the country a bit. Uh, I think it's got a long itinerary. It's probably going to be on the road for about five years traveling wow. around. And that show... Uh, contains about 40 
40 plus. I, I don't know the exact number, but there's a lot, there's a lot more than there was in 2003. So I feel like it's, it's gaining some, uh, you know, getting a foothold mm-hmm. uh, within, you know, the, the cultural arts. And so I'm, I'm really excited about that. Amazing. Five years. That's a long, long traveling exhibit. Mm-hmm. Are there any particular artists, both within the native American community and beyond who have influenced your style or perspective? Yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, I, I work with, um, I mean, I've worked with the community, uh, in Alaska. They commissioned me to do some significant pieces, uh, in the home community, community in Juneau, Alaska. So I made this really big, uh, screen for this cultural arts center in Alaska. That was, um, that was really exciting because, again, it, it, sh- it signified this acceptance of this, you know, this new medium. And um, and so I think, uh, oh, what was I going to say about, <laughs> what was the question? Uh, uh, influences, or anybody uh, within the oh, uh, oh, community yeah. or beyond. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when I first, I mean, the first... Um, artist that I saw, a native artist that I saw working with glass was a woman named Susan Point, who is from Vancouver area. She's a Salish artist and she was doing sandblasting. And I was like, Hey, wait a minute. You know, this is, <laughs> this is, I'm part of this too. You know, I could, I could right. like, I'd like to explore this. And so I saw the techniques that she was using and, and I said, Oh, I, you know, I can figure out, I know people who do, you know, it's nothing that's like invented. It's sandblasting is very common technique that's used for, you know, carving stone and all kinds of things. So, mm-hmm. um, and there was a, another man named Marvin Oliver, who was a really, he's passed away now, but he was the a professor at the University of Washington. And he was a big, um, you know, he was a big uh, mentor to me. Um, and uh, we, you know, I, I showed him, my work and uh he encouraged me uh along the way and so i and and uh, joe david is another artist from vancouver island who mm-hmm. um also part of the northwest coast uh group you know as far as contemporary artists and he's become my mentor and you know he teaches me a lot about the the details about the designs that i'm creating and you know he's, he's been spending you know uh, about 23 years, you know, working off and on together. And so, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of folks out there. Um, you know, all of my friends down in the Southwest, you know, uh, painter, painters and sculptors alike. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a great, uh, sort of, you know, it's a big community and it's really fun that we're all kind of, uh, in this, I think, making a case for native art in, um, as a contemporary, you know, in the, um, in the modern art world, mm-hmm. you know, fact is that, you know, we are, have never been really, uh, highlighted in that modern art movement, but I feel like that it's time now. And I think it's really, um, starting to, um, open up a little bit, you know, and people are, accepting uh native arts uh from all different uh perspectives from conceptual art you know nick nick is another uh he's another fellow clinkett artist who's really conceptual and i really admire 
is uh, the work that he does. It's really varied and it's, um, uh, you know, he's making a lot of inroads into museums and he's being embraced by the museum world. And so that can only help us, you know, get, uh, get more awareness for what we're doing. And I've said many times on this show that just because um, we had art 400 years ago, we continue to evolve. It doesn't stop what was traditional. It continues on. Even comic art, you, know, you see a lot of uh, Native American comic uh, books right now that's uh, artistic and endeavors. Um, right. So we continue to grow and continue to be individuals and peoples all over in, in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. What inspires you and motivates you? Well, I think it's really about this this uh, being a pioneer in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. um, and and connecting with the native uh, community, and and actually, you know, giving uh, contributing in a new way. Um, that that's kind of exciting. Um, like I say, you know, when I see younger native artists doing new things um it's it's always i mean it's it's needed you know we you know what my friend joe david brought up a really good point saying that you know some of the materials that we work with are becoming increasingly rare like you know big cedar logs for totem poles or dugout Mm -hmm. canoes and that type of thing and um that you know you will start to see new medium uh, be adopted to keep the stories and symbols alive, you know, and going forward. And so when I see um, artists trying new things and, and forging new paths, that's, that's exciting. And that's what I hope to um, help solidify for the native community. When you started this artistic path 40 years ago, are there any specific experiences or moments that have sparked your creative journey? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, I mean, I was, I found my, since I learned through working with other people, um, you know, I I just, I got this job on, on a a really great team um, of really experienced and highly skilled glass blowers. And, Mm -hmm. and, and I was able to, um, you know, contribute you know as as an assistant and help and learn and watch and observe and so um at one point you know i really did feel like okay i need to i need to veer off and and do my own thing and i think that every artist has that comes to that fork in the road where you're like oh do you go left or do you go right you know (laughs) i mean and and so for me had i not even had i chosen to not if i if i didn't place myself on this path then I wouldn't be uh where I am today and so I think you know there was um yeah that was it was just that that sort of breaking away and and, right. and leaving the family sort of glass blowing <laughs> growing <family>. up <laughs> yeah growing up you know and then taking the skills that I had um acquired and then applying them in different ways and so I think you know that that uh I think it'd be really hard to duplicate the experience that I had um, growing up working with the people that I did mm-hmm. um, uh, people like Benjamin Moore and Dante Marioni and Lino Talia Pietra, all these incredible glass makers, you know, that were uh, that, that had me on their teams that 
that, that encouraged me along the way. And so I, I think in the end, you know, I, I would have gone, <laughs> probably would have gone the, if I could have, I would have gone the way of music. I mean, I was really trying <laughs> to make it as a musician, as a, you know, as a rock star. Um, right. That was, my, <laughs> that was the box that I checked when I was, you know, was trying to, you know, uh, figure out my career. But it, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough way to make a living. Um, and so now I just use my glass career to support my music habits, you know, so <laughs> there you go. Hey, <clears throat> yeah, still got it going. So being an artist is, is tough enough as it is. Do you still see there's, there's challenges for Native American artists on the global platform? Well, I think that, like like I was saying, you know, the fact is that we haven't been really given this platform um, naturally mm-hmm. uh, already. I mean, it's taken several artists to really just keep pressing and pressing and, and trying to make a pathway for uh, for other artists to um, to learn and grow and thrive. You know, I mean. I think that the more that we work as um, contemporary, you know, uh, native artists that, you know, it, it just shows an example to the next generation. Um, mm. And I mean, it was pointed out to me by a good friend of mine who said, you know, he just said, you know, you, you're, you're, you don't realize it, but people are watching what you do and they're seeing your successes and they're seeing you grow as an artist, um, and all of your opportunities that come your way. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, so, you know, he said, you know, you're really being, you're, you're, you're an example, even though you didn't put yourself out like that. So, um, so I, I think about that a lot and I think about that, uh, um, and, you know, and I try to, I try to encourage young artists as much as I can and, uh, expose them to what, you know, what the possibilities are. And, you know, as a old saying goes, we all stand on someone's shoulders before us. So eventually someone would be standing on our shoulders. Exactly. Is there any prominent significant pieces that you're most proud of to date? Well, I think that the, uh, the piece that I'd mentioned that went back into, yeah, into the home community that, um, this cultural arts center in Juneau, Alaska, it's called the, um, uh, sea Alaska heritage or, uh, the Walter Sobolev building. And that, that, and so that piece, you know, is kind of, um, I mean, there is a thing about the way that I create artwork and I have to sell it through galleries and it goes largely to non-native people. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so when I had this opportunity to, to put, uh, this piece up in Alaska, it was an opportunity to uh, to do something for the community, and so I'm you know pretty proud of that piece because it will be there for <laughs> a good long time, as right. far as I know. It's it's uh, <laughs> and and so it it really is. Um, when I, if I think about it, I was probably I was preparing myself for that moment. You know that you know being a practicing working artist is a challenge and so when i had this opportunity i took it very seriously and i put all you know all of my collective uh, effort and experience into that piece and so that was really that was really special and um 
and then there, you know, there are other pieces too, like the big totems, of course, you know, those are, uh, monumental, uh, sculptures that, I mean, there just won't be very many of them in the world. I, mm-hmm. you know, I thought that, uh, I might be on a roll trying to <laughs> produce these things, but they're quite a commitment. You know, they have to be, they have to be, um, uh, in a place that once you set them up, you know, they're not going anywhere right. anytime soon. So, um, it's a Herculean task to, you know, take it apart and move <laughs> it and place it somewhere else, you know? So, and so hopefully, um, hopefully I still have a couple more of them, you know, under my belt. Uh, but it's about finding the, the place to put them and the people mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, the patrons who can, uh, support that, um, this endeavor. Uh, so it's still, uh, it's still a, uh, a bit of a hustle <laughs> no matter what stage you're at you know you're always trying to perpetuate you know your practice and i've got you know but i've got a studio i've got employees i've got people that i support you know financially and they help me you know execute the work mm-hmm. and um so i work hard for my team i work hard for myself um you still got to get out there and sell your goods <laughs> yep it's true so what's the day in the life of Preston Singletary in his studio? Well, I where I show up, you know, when I'm when I'm in town, I'm not traveling for a show or whatever, or um I'm working and I work pretty constantly. Um I I, I get to the studio um in, in the fall I'll start to blow glass and make sculptures uh that I will then, you know, stack up in my storage shelf and then i'll mm-hmm. start to um put the design work on those pieces uh and build shows um i typically have about about two to three shows per year um i have one in seattle i have one in santa fe um and then um well this year in particular I, i'll be going up to vancouver and showing in a new gallery up there um and that that's going to be the Doug Reynolds gallery. And they, um, he deals primarily with Northwest coast art, like a lot mm-hmm. of Haida, Haida and Clinkett style art. So it's right in the, um, the wheelhouse of, you know, how I operate. So, I'm going to, um, try to take the work up there and have an exhibition. Um, but then, uh, so I'll, I'll blow glass from, you know, the fall until the spring, um, in the summer when it's hotter in Seattle, then I don't have to work so much. I can turn the furnace off and just work on the, the, the cold working or the drawing part and build, uh, you know, finish the pieces. So like I said, it's a multi-stage process, you know, you mm-hmm. have the glass blowing and then you have the designing and you have the sandblasting. And if I have to make a, a metal mounts for the pieces for display or, or, uh, or whatever is needed, then. That's, um, you know, other aspects of what I have to take care of. So is there a large catalog of ideas that you have in your head of pieces you want to create? There are. They, I mean, like yeah. I said, there's there's uh, several uh, new sculptures that I want to work on about this new these new Raven stories. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I'm trying to, I, I mean, I just turned 60. So I'm trying to like, I'm trying to, 
project like ten, at least just 10 <laughs> years like okay the next 10 years Small what am blocks. i going to try to <laughs> yeah. yeah what am i what am i going to try to accomplish you know after all this and it does involve a couple of museum shows that are going to be uh, uh, around the country one's going to be up in Whistler BC one's going to be in um, uh, the San Francisco airport um, one's going to be out in uh, Jackson Wyoming uh, uh, and that's going to be, uh, you know, so that's over the next, uh, three to four years. Mm-hmm. So no traveling, no, uh, live gigs with your band. <laughs> no. Oh yeah. No, this, this, well, this year, <clears throat> this year is quite busy with the band. I've got, uh, there's a documentary film that's being, uh, really finished. Wow. Um, called Kuik, uh, the magic of noise. And, um, and that is, you know, a significant, uh, counter to, you know, the, the visual arts that I do. And, mm-hmm. and I take that pretty seriously. I take it. Um, so this documentary film has been in progress for about 10 years. Um, and over that time we've had various members that were, um, some of which have passed away and uh, but we continue on as a band and uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna be, we're going to be taking going up to uh, Juno in September. Uh, there's a native music festival, which is actually pretty, um, pretty robust. It's, it's, I mean, there's a lot of uh, national acts from, you know, Canada and the U S that are going to be convening there. And there's going to be about 40 bands and, Wow. over three over three days of uh music uh, and uh so that's happening and then um also with my raven show is going to be opening up in oklahoma at the museum of fine art oklahoma city uh but there's the first americans museum there Correct. as well uh-huh. and they um they decided to bring the band out so oh uh, wow so it's kind of like a, a dual uh dual purpose there um flat. And you, and so, yeah do you have a set date for that that's going to be the the show in um in oklahoma is going to be november 11th fantastic so okay. that's happening that's the the but prior to that a few days earlier the the museum show is going to be opening up i think it's the 8th of november 8th or 9th and mm-hmm. so i'll go out for the yeah, you know, the the opening ceremony and then have this uh, band performance. So yeah, it's kind of uh, get the best uh, of both worlds. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I keep saying it's going to be you know uh, my ten year plan. In ten years, we're going to get discovered. We'll be like the Buena Vista Social Club. I'll be like you know seventy years old out there. I'm like oh man, they're still still playing out there. And uh, you know uh, where where have we been all? everyone's life. Uh. You'll be the Rolling Stones part two. Yeah, right. <laughs> so when does the documentary come out? Or do, is there a release uh, date? It's, 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 it's probably going to be in the spring. We're just putting, um, right. we're putting all of the elements together. Uh, just seeing a final cut of that. And uh, we, in the, in the late winter, we, we recorded um, some soundtrack material and so we actually have a total of four new albums that are coming out. Um, one that was kind of under COVID and it was just, we just haven't gotten around to releasing it yet. Mm-hmm. And then we, we recorded a, um, 
our sixth album um, that will be so two albums there and then one soundtrack material um, and then one that's going to be uh, ambient music that is in, that alternate material that wasn't used for the soundtrack. So we're um, we've got four albums coming out over the next year and a half or so. Fantastic. You got a lot going on. I'm not going to ask you yeah. what's next. <laughs> <laughs> Doing a lot of balancing act. So yeah. where, where are you represented currently? Uh, so I, I have um, the Traver gallery in Seattle. That's been the longest, you know, local gallery. I have a mm -hmm. show there every year this year, uh, next year it'll be in May. Um, and then uh, the blue rain gallery in Santa Fe. Um, I've been showing with them for about 20 four years um and um and then the douglas reynolds gallery up in vancouver i'll be there in in october so those are the the galleries and there's also one out in uh, toronto um called the sandra ainsley gallery and they are um uh, a glass gallery uh primarily but they're mm -hmm. been trying to incorporate my work there too fantastic well, Preston, is there anything else you want to share with us or closing comments? I mean, this is the time to plug away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just uh, thank you for having me. And uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I just, uh, I just uh, probably just about time to get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> or the, the band's going to start playing in the background. <laughs> well, sir, yeah. it's been a pleasure. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. We thoroughly appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you.